So it was like literally driving down the, the freeway and changing tyres as we were going. It's one of those technologies when you show someone who's not exposed to it, you get that, oh, wow. And, and there's not too many things from a technology perspective from e-commerce where you get, wow. My only advice is don't be scared to have a vision, execute on that vision and make difficult decisions. Welcome to Add to Cart, the podcast that Express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of e-commerce. Every month, Nathan Bush from 12 High and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Hello and welcome to Add to Cart. My name is Nathan Bush, host of Add to Cart and director at e-commerce talent agency eSuite. Joining me today is Basil Karam. Basil is the CEO and the co-founder of online homeware store Life Interiors. As with many in the homewares category, Life Interiors had an absolutely massive 2020, but they're on track for an even bigger 21. This is off the back of replatforming over to Shopify Plus, a really smart omni-channel setup that you're going to hear about plus investment in technologies such as augmented reality and artificial intelligence. Today, Basil shares the Life Interiors story. This includes how they started on eBay and started as a replica furniture company. It's a far cry from today where they're now one of Australia's leading furniture designers and retailers. Their next frontier, a BHAG of doing over $100 million online. Basil is, at heart, a technologist, and it's fascinating to get his view on how to build an online business that can scale, but also be unique. So thanks to our partners, Shopify Plus and Signet, here's our conversation with Basil Karam from Life Interiors. Basil Karam, welcome to Add to Cart. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thank you for joining. We've had a few technical issues, um, but we are here. Thank you for your patience. I am surprised at how relaxed you you are looking, given your last couple of months uh, replatforming the website. How's that experience been for you? Uh, I think anyone who's gone through replatforming will tell you that it's always stressful. This is uh, our uh, second replatforming. That was the first one. Was uh, if anyone remembers in the good old day, Business Catalyst. We started off in the cloud and moved off into Magento, and and now from Magento into into Shopify Plus. So um, as, as most people know in the e-commerce space these days, uh, the e-commerce website is really sort of the, the, the tip of the iceberg and it really connects into every facet of the business as well. So it's those tentacles that really make it complicated. Replatforming initially was quite easy from where we were a business catalyst into Magento because we hadn't invested in, um, into integration into ERP and, and all the other elements of the ecosystem. But moving from Magento to Shopify required a lot of uh, time and effort and, and, and planning. So it was uh, stressful. We, um, but we did um, manage some of the, the complexities by uh, rolling out uh, different elements of the business along the way. So Shopify Plus allowed us to roll out the, the POS install, for example, uh, before going live, which meant that we could um, we could test our, uh, our iPass integration into, into NetSuite, which is our core ERP. So we were able to, to, to do things along those lines to really, uh, I guess, mitigate some of the, the, the risks along the way before you sort of flick that, flick that switch. 
<laughs> it's a scary moment. Um, what was the reasons for you moving uh, from Magento to Shopify Plus? For us, uh, I guess I've always been someone who's focused on having a cloud-first approach. At that time, we obviously moved into Magento, which wasn't obviously cloud-based, and it was just really the complexities of, of, of really managing AWS and, and other third-party hosting providers and, and the like. And uh, we felt like we'd outgrown it. We were on Community Edition. We hadn't moved to, to Enterprise. But at that point in time, with uh, obviously Magento moving to end of life, I'm not sure actually where the status is at the moment, but um, I've been in the game for a long time. So um, the end of life came, Adobe bought them out. And I had a, I'd seen what happened when Adobe bought out Business Catalyst um, and I was a bit concerned that Magento might end up um, going down that route. It's not too dissimilar to the way uh, Bronto was purchased by NetSuite and just, I think it was only a couple of months ago sort of was uh, end of life as well. So, so all those things really combined to, to really get us to migrate to, to Shopify or Shopify Plus, I should say, and um, the rest is history. Brilliant. And can, how long um, has Life Interiors been around for? We've been around for uh, a little over 10 years. I think it's about 11 or 12 years now. I, I, I lose count, but we've been selling furniture online for over 10 years. So we're one of the first e-commerce furniture providers uh, to sell online. We started off on uh, eBay. But we quickly decided that we wanted to set up a, a direct-to-consumer brand and, and through our own e-commerce platform. So we've uh, a bit of an old hag when it comes to sort of uh, the e-commerce space, but it has evolved a tremendous amount. I was about to say, you must have seen when you opened up that box of Shopify Plus compared to what you were looking at in those early days, 11 or 12 years ago, would yeah. just be completely different, right? Absolutely. I mean, at the time, there was it was Business Catalyst versus Shopify. Um, and um, I think I'd read a TechCrunch article and, and there was some guys in, in I think, North Sydney who'd, who'd launched a Business Catalyst at the time. It was like, no, we'll support local. They bought some furniture for us as well. So I went down that, that, that path as a, as a cloud-based business. And that was my background as well as a technologist. I built cloud-based businesses in the early 2000s as well. So I was very comfortable to go down that path as well. But, yeah, it's um, the challenges are different and some things have become a lot easier. But it's just um, the playing field has, has increased and the fundamentals are really taken care of now with platforms like Shopify Plus. And it's now really the more exciting part of, of, of e-commerce which really starts to differentiate one business from the next as opposed to just being able to take a payment online. Like bees to the honeycomb, retailers are loving Signet's new sustainable alternatives to traditional e-commerce packaging. Signet have recently introduced honeycomb mailers into their eco-friendly range. Made from craft paper, the 100% recyclable padded mailers offer the same protection as plastic bubble mailers without costing the earth. Signet have over 5,500 packaging solutions to help leading e-commerce businesses step up their packaging game. Visit signet.net.au to find out more. So when you open up that Shopify box and you get the, the the fundamentals in place, what's the focus area for yourself and Life Interiors to add on top of that fundamental experience? Yeah, it's, it's a it's a really <laughs> really wide question. Um, uh, I 
for us as a business, obviously focusing on that, that user experience and really building out what that, and understanding what that user journey is as well and really starting to differentiate our offering from other competitors around the user journey. And a key metric for us in the, in the furniture space is what we refer to as share of home. So in an ideal world, as opposed to, say, LTV, which would obviously tie directly into it, was uh, how many categories can someone purchase from us? If they buy a sofa, can they buy a cushion? If they buy a sofa, can they buy a coffee table? If they buy a bed, can they buy bedside tables? And slowly work with, um, slowly put systems in place where we can inspire customers and uh, to make those incremental purchases over the course of uh, them refreshing the house. I can imagine that that must be a significant challenge for you in the furniture space to be able to showcase and merchandise furniture effectively to, one, be able to help people achieve the task that they've come to to you for, but also then to inspire them to upsell, cross-sell. Where else can, can life interiors be part of your home? Yeah, correct. I mean, that's. I mean, we we we've we've far from nailed it. It's a it's 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 a work in progress, and I, I don't expect to to nail that experience for a long time because the bar always uh, shifts. I mean, um, uh, obviously, around discovery, search is an important part of that, and um, and search spring is a partner of ours that we've had since uh, we're on uh, Magento, and for us around that uh, discovery phase, we are investing in. Uh, in AI using uh, AWS Personalized to really start to recommend uh, other items. And we've, that's a work in progress at the moment. Uh, we expect to roll that out going into, in, into, the year, into the year ahead as well. So, And uh, the other element as well around inspiration and, and confidence, they sort of go a little bit hand in hand. We've got we've started to play around with a couple of items around uh, augmented reality, and um, we've got uh, a few items on the website like the Panama bedside table where you can experience what that item looks like, and they're all all the different components now that will set us apart from everywhere else, and um, and, and give people the confidence of styling an existing product um, that they have in their house with a new item that we have. And that could be from another retailer or, or in an ideal situation, obviously, both the products would be uh, from Life Interiors. But uh, that's part of inspiring someone by seeing that product in situ yeah. um, and um, giving them the confidence dimensionally and to see that product um, in the space that it's eventually going to be. In. They're all going to play pivotal roles in uh, improving our conversion rate. Absolutely. We'll put a link to the Panama product as well um, in the show notes if anyone wants to check that out. Um, has that become uh, the AR side of it? Has it become a lot more mainstream or accessible since uh, it's been able to be used in browser rather than just through applications or software? Yeah, I think it's a good question. We've been investing and looking at um, AR for now for a couple of years and we're even close to, to making some strategic investments in some startups overseas because we've we've invested in, in startups like um, uh, Tomando was uh, a shipment aggregator. We invested in them uh, several years ago because we could see a, um, a problem in the in the market that they sold. I think when it comes to AR, I don't believe it's mainstream yet, but at the same time, we've been selling e-commerce for 10 years, e-commerce, selling furniture, so selling furniture via e-commerce wasn't mainstream 10 years ago. It's getting some momentum now, but we think we're pretty close 
to where I think the tipping point is with the LiDAR scanners coming out on um, uh, the iPhones and, and other phones. So I think we're measuring about 12 months away before we start to maybe 24, but we want to be on the front foot and make those investments now and be the market leader. Absolutely. It's a common theme we've heard it a couple of times through Ad Descartes of businesses uh, who are getting on the front foot of AR, not expecting to make an immediate return, but the returns that they're seeing at the moment are still good. They're solid. It's just not a high, highly used product. But when it does hit mainstream, they'll be ready. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've got to have a, as a, as a business leader, you've got to have a view. Mm. And our view is it's going to improve conversion rates and um, give people confidence. And we want to set ourselves as a market. So, communicate to the business uh, to consumers that we are a market leader mm. and there are other tools out there that we will um, roll out to sort of communicate that as well so it's pretty close I think it's uh, oh, it's not too far away uh, it's one of those technologies when you show someone who's not exposed to it you get that oh wow <laughs> yes. and, and there's not too many things from a technology perspective from e-commerce where you get wow uh, feedback from customers so I think when they adopt it, not too dissimilar to QR codes. When they do adopt it, it will be an avalanche. We just want to be on the front foot uh, because I do see constraints around the supplier producing those models, and um, that is a bottleneck, I think, in the industry. Yep. So I think anyone that's thinking about AR, getting on the front foot there is important and getting a, it costs you maybe a little bit more, but you'll get ahead of the curve, and I think that's important because things could blow out in terms of timeline. Makes sense. In terms of AR and obviously just being on Shopify Plus, and I know Shopify are putting a lot of effort into AR as well, but it's still fairly in the early stages, um, is your approach to try and get even further out ahead of Shopify Plus and get something that's custom for your category and your business? Yes, definitely. I mean, at the moment, the, the, the models are an asset and we treat them as an asset. We play in the medium to high end of the market as well, so we can afford to invest in in creating those models. We don't play at the bottom end of the market when it comes to furniture. So for us, once we get, and this is sort of you touched on this beforehand, some of the return on that investment, other lessons in terms of how people engage, get that model there, and then for us, once that's in place, actually build out on top of the Shopify experience because there are limitations with Shopify because you can only have a single AR model in a scene as opposed to having multiple uh, models in a scene. So we can't actually physically style a space for you um, with multiple AR items. So there, there's sort of some limitations at the moment that we'll work around. But you never know, Shopify Plus might actually um, solve that problem in the near future. They might buy your technology off you. Um, you've touched on it before around um, fulfillment and shipping and it continually being a challenge in australia it's obviously got better over the years one of the things that i loved on your website is that you've introduced quick ship as a category to show customers what's currently in your sydney warehouse so that whereas they're browsing products they can see the products that they can expect reasonably to be at their door within the next couple of days as opposed to those that may be out of stock or coming from international warehouses. Um, That's a really smart move. And and how's that paying off for you in terms of what you're seeing customer behaviour? Yeah, it's um, uh, quick ship or, I guess, in-stock items. I mean, we track through um, Google Google Analytics. I think they refer to as custom attributes from memory or custom events. I can't recall the top of my head. But we actually track conversion rates based on the lead time on the page. So we actually can see how lead time or stock availability actually impacts uh, through Google Analytics the, the conversion rates. And so we, we definitely see a substantial uplift. 
in conversion and it tapers off quite linearly over the course of sort of um, so that six to eight week period before it sort of falls off uh, falls off a cliff because most people don't really want to wait uh, more than eight weeks for, for furniture. So it, it is a balancing act because uh, we are a self-funded business so we don't have a, an unlimited access to capital to invest a tremendous amount of furniture in in, in, um, in our warehouses uh, or in our warehouse, I should say. So it is a balancing act between conversion and sell-through rate as well. So uh, that's just an ongoing tug, tug of war. Um, but it definitely, it definitely has a direct impact to performance. And I think it's just a nice nice message as well from a brand transparency perspective and setting expectations for customers up front because um, it's such an important part of the process that shouldn't be left to the last part of the transaction. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and um, on that sort of uh, quick ship, and this is sort of um, uh, ties into uh, ecosystems and uh, sort of the API world and how uh, I believe uh, e-commerce needs, needs to sort of be transparent is as part of the uh, coming back to the topic at the top in terms of the replatforming. We've now really tightly integrated into uh, into NetSuite. We were tightly integrated, now we're really tightly integrated. So, um, and what that means is um, our customers now get, uh, and this was a challenge during COVID as well with with changes in lead time. So we addressed that problem complete transparency across the entire supply chain. So uh, what you see on the website now is directly related to what's in our ERP. And that also means we've solved for the problem of multi-container. So if the first container gets sold out, we actually allocate stock from the next container. And um, and it also means that as delays occur, we uh, automate our communications to our customer to inform them where their product is in the supply chain and where it's actually been caught, um, held up. So if, it, if it's left the port overseas or it's the Sydney port as well, and that comes back down to uh, supply chain transparency and um, over-communicating that. That was a big project for us over the course of the last several months and it's really starting to, to pay dividends uh, for the business and really pay dividends for the customer as well because now they're kept... Uh, not only are they seeing what's available, but they've been kept informed along the way. And that's been a major milestone for us. It's a really smart use of data. And I know not easy to get right when you're talking about big ERPs all the way through to platforms and everything else it touches, right? You didn't have to send any uh, customer communication about stock that's uh, stuck in an Egyptian um, canal, did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't. Uh, <laughs> no, I think um, uh, it's, we, we have recently started import product from from Europe. First containers are, I think, just snuck through from memory. So no, been fortunate enough. But yeah, in um, in theory, we would have said <laughs> it's stuck here. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, I'm glad they've uh, released that bottle. Brilliant. I read that you have a strategy to have a physical store, um, obviously started out as an online um, retail, but now you've got a physical store in every state to drive your online business. Um, rather than the other way that we often see is that people have a physical store and then going online, you've actually come the other way. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, I guess the lessons there were uh, seeded over 10 years ago. So when we were uh, online initially, and I think, I mean, in roundabout numbers, we're generating about, <coughs> excuse me, about $10,000 a month in sales. 
And then we real, and then we opened up this really small store in Piedmont in Sydney that was, I think, 60 or 70 square metres. So maybe the size of two car parking spots. I mean, it was tiny and we we're selling furniture uh, from that space. It was like a sardine can. <laughs> um, and um, what we realised is online sales shot through the roof. Um, and it went up by about 400%. So it went from 10000 to about $40,000 a month in, in sales. So, and it's, it's once again, it's just understanding, like understanding your customer. And while we know uh, e-commerce is obviously uh, growing at a rapid rate, uh, the majority of our customers still interact in the physical world and do want to touch and feel. So it's not about the, the philosophy of it's one versus the other. It's how do you cost, ev- cost effectively interact with your customers and what is the best way to do that from their, from their eyes. And uh, for us, we landed on a destination model. So you're not going to find us in Westfields or any of these big uh, retail strips. You're going to have to drive to us in a, in a historically in a warehouse. So it's a low cost, sort of a low cost environment. And where we are at the moment, Lilyfield and in Abbotsford down in Melbourne, um, you're driving to us within generally within that sort of five, six, seven K radius of the CBD. So pretty easy to get to and pretty central, but rents are cheaper. And you're coming to us with a, um, with the intention to purchase after doing some research. So we have a very high conversion rate when people walk into store and that means um, we can resource accordingly because we're not really investing in people who are just sort of browsing. Uh, They're really coming in to execute. So it's allowed us to tailor that to us and and really also uh, you're obviously brands like um, uh, Google and the like who are obviously trying to converge uh, channels uh, uh, together as well really start to leverage things like local inventory ads. So where consumers now can, within 10Ks of our stores, search for bar stools or, or, or dining chairs and see if that inventory is actually in store. We're one of the first in Australia to actually roll that out. And the funny story is Google actually sent out um, like third-party consultants with tablets and they physically checked every item in our, in our showroom. And it was about a week before um, 30th of June. So it was like the, the running the running joke was we should have got them to do our stock take because <laughs> literally that's the, they actually came in to do that stock. That was maybe three or four years ago. But once again, it sort of comes into the power of using both channels uh, effectively uh, to drive people into store and, and ideally convert and have a really good user experience because obviously no one wants to come into store thinking an item's available uh, to touch and feel and getting there and realising it's not. And when you've got a sort of 3,000 SKUs available to us, transparently communicating information that's in our ERP into into our digital marketing platforms like Google Shopping was complicated uh, to do, especially uh, with things like click and click. Yeah. And have you figured out any magic formula for doing the online to offline attribution or offline to online? It feels like it's something that no one's cracked yet and everyone's approaching it in different ways. Yeah. Um, a couple of things, I guess, with that is um, when you've enabled, I believe it's most probably part of local inventory ads, Google over the years started to open, open up Google Store visit conversions. 
and you're going to have to fact-check or the audience is going to have to fact-check this um, But because over the years they had certain boundaries where you had to have X amount of stores or X, X amount of visitors to, for obviously from a privacy perspective. But I think it's opened up a little bit more in terms of uh, number of stores. It used to be 30, I think. Now I'm not sure if there is a store limit. So we've got that where obviously Google is using people who've signed into Google Maps and, and everything else walking into store. Um, so we've got some metrics coming in that way. Uh, we've With Shopify Plus as well, we're encouraging people, uh, we're sending through draft orders to them so they're converting on their mobile phones in store as well which means we actually get we actually fire off the the conversion pixels uh that way so as much as we can we're pushing interactions into um an online forum so they would have potentially clicked on an ad we send them a draft order they quickly buy with a one-click purchase on their mobile phones uh, or potentially on the way home and then we get all that pixel data coming through in the last bit of the puzzle as well. And like I said, there's everything's you sort of got to weave it together. Sometimes it's just enough to get a good view. We, we send through our, um, our confirmation emails and thank you emails into online. We have this running with Magento. We haven't converted this functionality over into Shopify Plus where you, you have a thank you and you click on a button and it's a thank you page and that thank you page fires off a pixel as well. And by doing that, we're really connecting the dots between where you've been and where you are, even if it's purely an, an offline transaction. So between those three te- techniques actually have a very good view of um, customers and everyone can roll that out on Shopify Plus or outside of Shopify Plus as well. So happy to answer any questions on LinkedIn. (laughs) No, I think that's great because none of of those methods are assumption-based. They're all um, scientific. Just on the draft orders, can you um, just explain a little bit more around from a customer experience how the draft orders work? Yeah. So, so for us, a challenge that we had as a, as a business, at least from our retail perspective, is uh, getting the number of quotes out to customers. Um, through NetSuite, that quoting process was uh, was a bit cumbersome and it was obviously managed outside of our uh, e-commerce. So for us, one of the problems that we wanted to solve was really giving customers the ability to purchase in, in, obviously, if they've gone through Shopify beforehand and set up their things called Shop Pay or Shop Now or something along those lines, really making that process as quick as possible from a, a draft order, which is really a quote, which we directly Im- import into NetSuite. So those quotes that go through Shopify Plus through our iPass, I have a running um, list of all those quotes sitting in NetSuite as well. So from a customer's perspective, they're on the website. The plan is they're one click away from seeing that AR model if they need the assistance to, to convert and um, and obviously a chat with someone online as well, uh, as well as all the other attributes we've said. So that's how we've done it. It just Brilliant. means we've had, we've had an instance where someone was, I guess, illegally driving. But, um, but yeah, it was just a one-click purchase, didn't have to worry about doing anything else as opposed to... Um, going through a PDF quote uh, process like most retailers do. It's very cool. And do you use that at all for demand planning and looking at what might be coming up in terms of orders? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, for uh, demand planning uh, as part of our migration to the cloud and systematically moving stuff across, we've um, we launched at the beginning of the year with uh, uh, AWS Forecast and uh, all that data in terms of quotes, conversions, uh, and the like, feeds into our um, inventory management solution. 
uh, which is really powered by AWS forecast. So the answer is yes. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, it's either a quote, hasn't converted, but there's still demand there. But we also include um, things like um, uh, page visits at, uh, at to cart, <laughs> uh, um, at signals and events. Yeah. And that all goes into our machine learning model where we um, use that to forecast demand uh, and also forecast missed opportunities as well because we don't have um, all the inventory we'd like all the, all the time. So that gives us a really strong signal to feel confident placing uh, uh, orders that we wouldn't otherwise have placed. Australian brand Rolly Nation makes footwear that is lightweight and the favourites of suitcase stuffers around the globe. So when Rolly Nation wanted to put a greater focus on direct-to-consumer, they migrated to Shopify Plus. With integrations into Gorgeous for customer service, Smile for loyalty, Clavio for direct marketing, and Okendo for customer reviews, Rolly Nation were able to deliver a site that was as lightweight as their shoes. They immediately achieved a 62% improvement in page speed, which contributed to a 3.5% increase in conversion. As Limp Biscuit would say, they're now rolling, rolling, rolling. To read more of Rolly Nation's story and to see other case studies, visit the customer sections on shopify.com.au forward slash plus. Now, you started Life Interiors on eBay. Yes. which is a world away from what we were talking about just before. Um, yes. <laughs> how do you see the marketplace environment now? It's obviously much broader and a lot, lot more players. How do you see it, the marketplace today? Is it still an important uh, channel for retailers? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it depends on the retailer and their strategy and our reliance uh, on marketplaces has reduced over the years, which is much really counterintuitive to quite a lot of people, obviously, with the likes of Amazon and and the like. Um, and for us, uh, having that direct-to-consumer brand was uh, really important for us to differentiate our product offering. And we uh, supporting, I mean, over the years, we've supported at one point in time, maybe four or five different marketplaces and automated them pretty well. But there is a cost in in supporting multiple marketplaces, and I'm, I don't share the belief of each incremental sale is you, you fight for it, especially for us anyway. I mean, digital is such an important point of different, also, so it's such an important channel, I should say. Um, so for us, they're less important than they've historically been, and our experience with, I guess, a pure marketplace being um, something like eBay would be different than I guess what I would refer to some of these hybrid partners where I guess as a retailer, as a direct-to-consumer brand, unlike maybe a, someone who's like a Sony or a Sonos or like who really, I guess, own the brand. So for us, we invest in our product uh, and the design of our product. But, um, but there are other businesses out there who want pure marketplaces and they're driven also by using your data to introduce a private label because the marketplace business is so cutthroat that it's very hard to have a, a to establish a business on on a 15% or a 10% margin product when when the google tax is um, um, is also applied as well and the cost of acquisition is going up so for them to be viable we've been in a position where other brands have leveraged our data to import product that's very similar to what we have so I would, my recommendation is go in there eyes wide open, 
eBay is most probably the exception uh, in the Australian marketplace. It's a pure marketplace. As far as I know, they don't import any private label at all. But a lot of other Australian marketplaces do. And just be conscious that in the day you are feeding them a lot of IP and you've got to ask yourself the question, is it better to go direct to consumer and invest in your own capabilities or not? So, um, But on one last point with marketplaces, where they do play an important role for us, and we've been selling on marketplaces for uh, probably about seven or eight years now, is it helps with uh, inventory management and inventory life cycle. So we have automated all our integration with these partners. And if we find that some stock is not turning over as fast as we'd like, we actually uh, enable them um, on these marketplaces and sell the product through those channels as well. So that keeps our business healthy from from an inventory perspective. And if you were starting Life Interiors again today in 2021, would you start on marketplaces or would you go straight to um, a digital direct-to-consumer uh, channel? I would, I would, I'd go direct-to-digital consumer. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Depending on the category, but I would go direct-to-digital consumer. Yeah. And, and what's been great about our conversation so far is that I'm really getting a sense of how um, how important it is for you to create a brand that's unique, unique in the way that you set up your tech stack, how you use your data, um, the channels that you operate through. It's really all coming back to that competitive advantage, which is funny because in the start, I understand Life Interiors actually copied furniture design, effectively making uh, replicas affordable for Australians. Um, how's that? How was that transition from being a replica model to now being one of the the leading um, design design companies in furniture? Um, I think um, I mean our background or my background is technology, so it wasn't really furniture. So uh, uh, it's a call of spade a spade. But uh, so for us, uh, if you sort of take if you sort of dial back ten years, the e commerce space. Or I guess the confidence that people were having to purchase e-commerce, oh, sorry, furniture online, was really replica furniture. Uh, brands like uh, Matt Blatt, Milan Direct, all got their um, their start really was to sell replica furniture online. There are other brands as well, but they were some of the main ones. Com- customers were comfortable. They knew the product, they knew the design. There was obviously a sense of I'm getting a bargain as opposed to to buying uh, the original. But for us, the question, I guess, I mean, we wanted to, um, after a couple of years, we decided in the day uh, two things. One, the ethics around it wasn't right. Uh, Two, to acquire great talent uh, in the space meant that we had to uh, have a business that was, I guess, in the eyes of our employees, something that we would be proud of as opposed to simply focusing on the revenue. And we really uh, pivoted away when the business was growing as well, uh, which was a challenge because we didn't have um, the excess capital. So it was like literally driving down the, the freeway and changing tyres as we were uh, as we were going. So we'd started that process. And what most people don't know is is I think we're maybe about six months in the process where we just decided, you know what, we're changing tack completely in terms of where we're going. Uh, it's going to be a long journey, the difficult one. It could take a couple of years. And as we started it, our key supplier, which at the time was um, supplying uh, Matt Black, and it was well over 50% of revenue, the business decided that they uh, didn't want to supply us product anymore. Uh, 
So that was like, oh, I've got to be joking. Uh, so, so obviously that sped up the, the, the speed of our migration. But even then, we were looking at some of the replica stuff as well because, I mean, we just couldn't move that fast. Um, but lucky we'd already started that journey. We'd had the vision. Uh, of where we wanted to get to. And what you're seeing at the moment with Life Interiors, really the seed of that was sowed maybe six or seven years ago because we are now where we wanted to be. And my only advice is don't be scared to have a vision, execute on that vision and make difficult decisions because if you don't make the difficult decisions and you know when it's right and you're wrong in the pit of your stomach, you don't want to be forced to make that decision and because um, uh, it just means you're on the back foot. So for us, we're on the front front foot and um, and we're starting to reap the rewards of that by having a, a brand and product that are really unique in the market, really resonating with um, with our customers. Oh, absolutely. I, I, can, I can attest to that myself. We're going through renovations at the moment and every time I look over to what's on my wife's phone, it's always a Life Interiors website. <laughs> it's, uh, you've made a name for yourself, that's for sure, at least in our household. Um, the what you mentioned in there was really interesting around capital and how tight capital was, especially in those early stages. Do you look at what's happening at the moment in e-commerce and especially some of the investment that's going on? We've obviously seen brands like um, Adore Beauty, Booktopia, uh, Temple and Webstar have huge results, but also huge capital raisings at the same time. Um, how do you see the environment around um, capital investment in e-commerce companies in Australia at the moment? Obviously, I mean, the, the, the running commentary with COVID really is all it's done is really brought forward uh, existing trends uh, or fractured existing fault lines. So I think from that perspective, uh, the, we're definitely, the e-commerce industry has hit a particular tipping point. And um, I think uh, my personal view is the investment will continue um, at, will, and it will continue at a, at, at, probably at a rapid rate as businesses realise that, they've been caught flat-footed or they could potentially have dragged out that investment over a course of uh, a few years, Uh, and that includes investment in staff and technology and the like. And I think um, uh, the doors and the temple temple and websites of the world have um, capitalised on that trend. And I think in in our space you have brands like uh, Barossa who look like they've raised a pre-IPO round and Koala Furniture uh, looking like they're, they're potentially uh, going for the boards as well. So in our space, there's a lot, lot of activity to really capitalise on brands that have, um, have benefited out of the, the, the refocused attention on home. And I think um, it's a $10 billion industry and retail is a, is, a, is a huge industry in itself if you sort of roll up again and, and the macro trends are only uh, increasing. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll find a brand will raise capital will also give them the opportunity to right size as well, especially if they're brave enough to make some of those uh, judgment calls and realign themselves with where the industry is going as opposed to the incremental um, growth of some of the traditional retailers. Yeah. And given... COVID, it was such an explosion, but especially in your category, right? The spending in, in home was phenomenal um, during then. We also had great results from people who you might not call them digital natives, like the Harvey Normans of the world, who still came out with incredible results, even though they're not as far down the digital path as, as what you might be. Is it hard to get a read on what the category is doing when you're getting great results throughout everyone? Uh, uh, not really. I mean, uh, as I sort of said beforehand, I mean, the category is large. 
And the, the consumer, uh, it's roughly a $10 billion market in our space. And the, the average consumer still wants to interact uh, through a physical store. Uh, that's not where the, the largest, obviously, delta in change is. And um, a business like us, and sort of tying back into uh, capital as well being tight for someone like us, we really use that, that sort of Pareto principle. I mean, that sort of 80-20 rule. And the question is, when you have to be resourceful, where do you where do you you put in your effort, and where do you um, and we always have to sort of focus on that eighty percent. I mean, where can we put in twenty percent of it, get that eighty percent of return? Where can we put in that twenty percent of capital, get that eighty percent upside? And um, for us, the market was a key beneficiary, and uh, brands like Nick Scarly and. Harvey Norman and the like all, all had um, fantastic results. The question, I guess, for them and their shareholders is can they maintain them as other, I guess, digitally native brands like uh, Life Interiors and, and Barossa and, and, and MyDeal and Temple and Webster who are uh, nimble and uh, who are really aiming at the moment for the fastest growing component. doesn't take much to really tip these, these other bigger established players over. So yeah, everyone's winning at the moment, but it won't be like that for long as as as, um, as things start to normalise. And really, the, the real big difference is the shift to e-com, which is obviously the macro trend that that us and your audience have been focused on um, leveraging for the last sort of uh, several years or ten years or longer in some cases. Absolutely, oh, it's, it's going to be a fascinating twelve months. Um, what is on the immediate horizon for yourself and the Life Interiors team moving forward? I guess uh, for us, over the last 12 months, we've made uh, substantial investments in our, our, our team, the operations and, and the capacity and the capability of, our, of uh, the operations in the team, sorry. And for us, the real big focus is maintaining our continuous growth. We've grown year on year over the last 10 years and we've got a, a BHAG of getting to $100 million in revenue. So for us, uh, we've hit, definitely hit an inflection point. Uh, the market's hit an inflection point, and we just really want to focus on uh, scaling the business and obviously ensuring that the consumer is at the heart of, of scaling that as well. So we've made that investment so we don't disappoint as we scale. We don't have external shareholders, so we can be a little bit more, um, I guess, uh, focused and disciplined in our approach as well, and that's that's what the team's going to be focused on. Brilliant. Exciting times. Now, if um, anyone wants to get in touch, and there's so much there, we could have gone down so many rabbit holes. If anyone uh, wants to get in touch with you or the Life Interiors team, what's the best place to do so? Life Interiors team, obviously the website. If anyone's got any questions, I'm always happy to assist and help startups and I've always got time for, for people, especially um, if they're happy to have a quick chat on a Saturday as well. Just hit me up on, on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to provide insight, dive a little bit deeper in any of the conversations that we had and, um, yeah, more, more than happy to help out. Brilliant, Basil. Thank you so much for all you shared today. It's really generous. Um, loved hearing your experience of replatforming um, and everything else that goes around that and uh, wish you all the best for the coming 12 months. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I mentioned it in the episode, but there were so many points in that conversation where Basil talked about creating unique competitive advantages in his business. They've effectively created a moat that's enabled them to grow year after year after year for 10 years. So, for example, while they've migrated over to a readily accessible and market-leading platform in Shopify Plus, 
Basil and the team have made sure that Life in Tears still offers a unique experience using things like data to give personalised recommendations, the use of augmented reality for real-world situations, and their effort in showcasing products. But this uniqueness extends beyond the technology and beyond the platform to things like the way that they use stores to bring people online, the use of channels such as Pinterest, and the custom designs of their products. This strategy around uniqueness means that Life Interiors can utilise cost-effective platforms, but with features that can't easily be replicated. It's a really smart strategy to stay competitive, to give your customers what they want, and to keep that growth happening year after year. To finish up, I have three resources for you. Firstly, if you're a first-time listener of Add to Cart and you want to stay up to date with new episodes, head over to addtocart.com.au and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. We'll let you know every time a new episode drops, as well as giving you my three takeaways from each episode and a link to the transcripts so you can know that this is an episode that you want to dive straight into. Secondly, if you want a weekly roundup of the best e-commerce case studies, tools, and research, sign up to the High Five Friday newsletter, which is delivered to inboxes at 8 a.m. every Friday morning. I read all the e-commerce news and send you the bits that I think you can take action from. Sign up at 12high12high.com.au forward slash high five. And the last thing, if you are looking to explore your next e-commerce opportunity, head over to esuitetalent.com.au. We are a dedicated e-commerce talent agency connecting the best e-commerce talent with the fastest growing brands. Check it out, sign up to the email and get in touch with me if you want to discuss your next move. Until next time, thanks for listening and keep those customers adding to cart.